Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host Alex Metzger, along with me is my co-host Chase McCallum. Uh, we are once again on Skype as we continue to social distance. Uh, the other day we brought you our top 10 centermen. To Today we're going to do the top 20 wingers in the league. Uh, we debated doing 10 left wing, 10 right wing, but then we decided it was too hard to uh, distinguish between the two. So we're just going to do top 20 overall wingers in the league. Um I don't know about you, Chase, but for me personally, this was way harder than making the centers list. Yeah, there are like distinctly a top tier of centers, and then after that, there's just kind of like a handful of guys that, but there's not nearly as many that are close to ten, I think, as there are with the wingers. Like I think the wingers gets into a jumbled mess pretty quick. Yeah, like I think there's a pretty easy. Like, for me, my top eight or so wasn't too bad. Top seven, maybe. But then from, like, eight to 12-ish was pretty tough. And from 13 all the way to, like, 25 to maybe even 30 was tough. Like, I don't know you. I'll I'll leave one right now. I'll start with one that I don't even have on my list. I don't have Kyle Connor or Blake Wheeler on my list. I didn't even consider those two guys, really. I don't have Tarasenko on mine. I have Tarasenko on mine, but yeah, like there's just so many guys where it's like, yeah, like I'd hear an argument where they're anywhere from 20 to 35-ish. Yeah, exactly. And like there's guys like Marner, like I have him on the list. I think he belongs on the list, but you, he could be, you could argue that he's worse than many of the guys on this list. You could argue that he's better than all sorts of them. Like it's just so hard to actually place a whole bunch of these dudes. Yes, exactly. So um, I guess before we really get started here, I should say, um, yeah, there's obviously could be people that we forget. Um, If that's the case, I apologize. We might try and work someone in the list if we need to halfway through. But uh, generally speaking, I think I'm pretty happy with mine and I think Chase is pretty happy with his. So, uh, yeah, we can get started on this. Uh, Do you have any honorable mentions you want to start off with? Uh, Just kind of a fistful of guys I don't have on the list, but I think you could easily have on Alex Debrinkit, Schwartz and Tarasenko from St. Louis, Jakob Verana, Zucker, Svechnikov, Besser and Landeskog. Like there's just so many names. That- oh yeah. See, I'm already forgetting. So I didn't have Landeskog, but I forgot Rantanen on my list. So now I got to move some people down here. Yeah, <laughs> um, was one of the guys I forgot originally too. Yeah. Um, okay. So my honorable mentions, I like a couple that you had. Uh, my honorable mentions are Brock Besser, uh, William Nylander, uh, Max Pacioretty, Jaden Schwartz, and Evgeny Dadanov. Ooh, Dadanov and Pacioretty are another two good ones. Yeah. Um, so yeah, sorry, I'm just bear with me. I'm just trying to figure out where that on earth I want Ranton in here. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like it, it was just such a tough list to make. Like. I guess if I – I'll put – just for – so I don't have to change my entire list up, I'll put Ranton on my honorable mentions, even though I think for me he'd probably be in that 15 area, 15 to 20 maybe. But I'll throw him on the honorable mentions just so I don't have to do a huge shift here. But Yeah, that's fair enough. So who did you have for 20 then? I have Matthew Tuchuk. Okay, I have him a little higher up. Um, I, I'll, I'll, I have him at 16. I guess we'll say – I'll just say mine now. Um I think anyone kind of from this like 12 or 13 to 20 area can really be replaceable like within each other. Uh, For me, Kachuk has been one of the guys in Calgary who, you know, a lot of the guys in Calgary took a step back this year. I don't really think Kachuk was the same kind of way. Like he just seems to be kind of plugging along per usual. And for me, that that's pretty uh, something to take note of. And that's why he's a little higher uh, personally, I think. 
Yeah, that's completely reasonable. I could easily see an argument for sliding him up this list. He's uh, one of those guys that he's obviously such a shit disturber or whatever, but just how good of a play driver is, he seems like kind of guy that could easily fly under the radar how good he is because he doesn't really have the body point totals. Oh, exactly. And his brother's the exact same way. Uh, Brady Kachuk, obviously to a lesser extent at this point, because he doesn't, I think he's, you know, at about 40 points on the season. Uh, but he's the exact same way. Like he's leading the, or up there for the league lead and expected goals and stuff like that. But it's just, he's uh, much like his brother in that he just gets into the corners. He pisses everyone off, stands right in front of the yeah. net and collects so many rebounds that, you know, his expected goals numbers look amazing. Yeah, they both kind of look primed to be like the next, the way Brendan Gallagher has been for the past six, seven years. Maybe they could be very similar for the next 10 or however long. Exactly. Um, I'm, I'm realizing another name I don't, I just totally forgot about was Jacob Voracek. I don't know if he would, he'd be around. Like, There's just so many guys on this damn list that could be or could be on this damn list, I should say. Yeah, there's so many names. After like 14 or 15 for me, it just gets into Pick your poison, yeah. As opposed okay. to passionately. So my number twenty is Taylor Hall. Um, really? Yeah. So this is maybe a little low for him compared to most lists. But here's my thing. I tried to use like much like the centers. I tried to use the past two seasons, and then I used the third season as well for you know when it was really close between guys. Uh, Taylor yeah. Hall. These past two seasons have been hurt and just didn't play near as well this season. Yeah, he was like, wasn't like bad because in bull replacement level or whatever, but relative to the way Taylor Hall has been for the past decade or so, he was like actively bad last year. Yeah, this so year, I, tr- I, guess. I, tr- I don't know. Do you have him on your list? I'm five. Okay, yeah. See, I was not willing to put him near that high because I think his past two seasons, this one, he just. He was he was a good player, but I mean, I think he probably cost himself money this year. Like heading into this season, and I mean, obviously the cap situation probably won't help him. But heading into this season, I still would have thought, yeah, like some team's going to easily give him eleven mil, and I think that might be dropped by at least two million by now, just given how he's played this year. Oh, he lit a lot of money on fire this year. But what I'm yeah. going so there's a chance he was hurt in eighteen nineteen. Pro-rated, I still had him as the 10th best player in the 18-19 season. So I'm kind of banking on the same thing when we talked about first Sid, where, like, Hall has been so good for so long, and I even believe he was very good in 18-19, where, like, I'm assuming he didn't become bad overnight. Yeah, exactly. But you never know with that stuff, and that's why, you know, injuries are so tough, where it's like some of them I just tried to... I I moved him down or up a little bit, but, you know, uh, at his age, you... It wouldn't shock me if Taylor Hall became, you know, a top five winger again in the league next season. But would it also shock you if injuries just catch up to him and he's just a top 30 guy instead? Yeah, it's very possible because obviously we're not doctors. We don't know how bad the injury was, but he's not particularly young anymore. So like 28 year olds have had their careers derailed from injuries all the time. So Exactly. So for yeah, for me personally, that's kind of why I have him so low. Um I, I think that there's absolutely, if you just want to go on prior skill level, yeah, he's definitely going to be way higher. If we're choosing right now, I'd be a little bit worried just in terms of, uh, you know, his past, this past year and then last year. He was really good when he played, but he just didn't play all that often. 
Yeah, that's fair. And it gets into like a ceiling versus a floor where maybe his floor is lower because of the injuries. And it's been a sketchy two years for him, but he's definitely got a higher ceiling than almost everyone on this list. For sure. Yeah. I mean, he was he's three years removed from being an MVP winner. Right. So uh, the, the skill is definitely or, you know, the past history is definitely there. And um, maybe if I was redoing or I had a little more time to make this, I'd put him up near 12 or 13. But just. You know, and, and this could definitely change on a on a snap uh, next season uh, if he turns into the Taylor Hall from New Jersey that we knew earlier. But uh, yeah, for me, that's a he's at 20 right now. Uh, so who do you have at 19 then? At 19, I have your honor, honorable mention, William Nylander. OK, yeah. So I debated putting Nylander there uh, or close on this list. I just it was just off of it. Like right now on my paper, I have him wrote, written down as. I guess with Ranton and be technically being an honor mention, I have him at 25, um, and I think kind of in that range is where Nylander fits on the, uh, you know, 19 to 30 ish kind of player. Like he's he's uh, a number one or he's a top line winger for sure, um, yeah. but he's obviously not of the elite elite. But that's okay because he doesn't need to be. No, exactly. And again, if you wanted, like, if you felt really strongly that professors better than him or whatever like I don't like I don't feel super like I wouldn't think you're an idiot for saying that or whatever I just happen to have Nylander 19 and Besser just on the outside or someone like Schwartz yeah exactly and I mean I think for Nylander it's not like he was bad last year I think he was more unlucky but uh so for for what I did I tried to balance a couple years right I used evolving wilds goals above replacement but then I also tried to take in points as well um and points obviously one year you can't really use because that's so or you can use but obviously you don't want to just use that right um because it's just so it can be so wild with shooting percentage and stuff but you know yeah, if, you, if a guy pardon sorry yeah like you you need to bring more but yes, exactly. But I think it's still fair to say, you know, if a guy, if we expect him to have 60 points in a year and he routinely hits 45, yeah, that's something you have to consider. It goes the other way, too, with, I mean, we'll get into the Patrick Kane and Alexander Ovechkins of the world where it's like, okay, their expected goals say they're only supposed to score 35, but they score 50 every year, or 45 or whatever. It's like you have to take that into account, too. Yeah, especially when they've been doing it for so long. Yeah. Um, yeah, so for Nylander, that's kind of thing. It was like, he was right on and like, uh, yeah, he was like right on the bubble there. I wanted to put him on cause I, William Nylander is probably my favorite player from the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, I just, I love the way he plays watching him's a lot of fun watching him, you know, skate it through the, uh, skate it into the, uh, offensive zone, just through the ice. It's just, it's so much fun to watch. Oh yeah. He's just like a beautiful player, I guess, to watch. Like he just looks amazing. And so like effortless the way he plays hockey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my number 19 was Andrei Svechnikov. Um, yeah, so for him, again, he like he's one of those guys where you could have replaced him with Nylander on my list. The reason I bumped Svechnikov up is because, A, he only had two years of data, so that probably favored him a little bit. Um, but, B, he was uh, near the top – not near the top. He was lower on the list for wingers in terms of goal above replacement. And that was going to bump him down until I remember that last year he played like – 80% of his minutes on the third and fourth line with guys like Lucas Walmark and no offense to Lucas Walmark, but like he was still scoring and putting up amazing expected goals numbers with those guys. Yes. Fetchnikov, obviously second overall pick, like people expect him to be talented, but he's been such a good play driver. If his like actual on ice results catch up to his expected results, 
he might like skyrocket up these lists for a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so last year he had uh, 37 points in 82 games, which obviously isn't great, but 20 goals and 17 assists. Like if you watched any Carolina games, he was just passing to no one there sometimes or, you know, never getting the puck. Uh, this year in 68 games, he already has 24 goals and 37 assists. So he's already at 61 points in 68 games. And uh, yeah, another year of growth. And he could be very high on these lists at times. Yeah, and when he's – it's kind of tough to weigh how you weigh past seasons or whatever, but he's one of those guys that you definitely put more stock into the more recent seasons because of how young he is. It's reasonable to expect that step is actually true talent getting better, not just noise or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, so with Sveshnikov, I think it's just one of those things where it's like you look at last season, he was really – he was amazing, like – I don't think he got enough love for the Calder Trophy last season. I mean, it was a stacked race, I think, last year, too, if I remember correctly. I don't even remember who won it, but... Patterson. Uh, Patterson with won it, yeah. So it's like, yeah. So, which is fair. Like, obviously, I don't think he should have... Svechnikov should have won it, but I don't think he got near enough love for it, either, if I remember correctly. That's how little I care about award voting, by the way. But... Um, but then, then you look at this year, and it's like he's just, uh, you know, the Canes have struggled relative to, you know, well, not relative to last year, but they're still on that wild card edge, which is maybe a little lower than I thought they would have been. But Svechnikov hasn't been a problem. He's been almost point per game, and uh, from a 19-slash-20-year-old in the NHL, that's all you can ask for. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's no red flags in Svechnikov's game at this point, which is impressive exactly. for a 20-year-old. Exactly. So uh, who do you have uh, your number 18 slot? 18, I have the other William Nylander, essentially, Nick Ehlers. Okay, yeah, I, again, there's a name I just, for, for some reason I thought he played center. Um, so there's a the name NHL I left off my list. Center. Pardon? The NHL data might have him as a center. They seem to think everybody is a centerman. Yeah, I I don't, I think I looked, like I was on Yahoo just kind of looking up players, and for some reason I think he said he was a center, but uh, that would be why he's not on my list by accident. Uh, but yeah, that's totally fair. Uh, Nikolai Ehlers, to me, is just like he said, William Nylander, but like, what, two years older? Same draft and every, like, they were... Oh, so uh, say, same age, even. They were picked seven and eight in the same draft. Their NHL results are very similar to this date. Like, I think... They're the most nat. They're each other's most natural comparables. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know Ehlers. It was funny you look at the last year. He only had 37 points in 62 games, and that's when all the trade rumors uh, were flying around like crazy. Shocking, eh? Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, he's yeah. Hockey DB has him as a left wing, so that's not that's my bad. He would probably be right around that you know 20-ish spot, right where you kind of had him too, if you had him at 18. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, like he's just in that kind of caliber, right? Like, yeah, definitive first liner. Maybe you have him eighteen, maybe you have him twenty-three, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. There, there's not much I can say about uh, him more than that. Like, uh, Winnipeg's kind of funny like that in that they have so many guys just like that. Where it's like you have Ehlers. You know, Wheeler used to be elite. He's not anymore, but I'd still argue he's probably a top 60 winger in the league, which would make him first line. It, they have line a and Kyle Connor as well. Like they just have so many guys where it's like, they're just kind of in that 20 to 50 range in terms of wingers. Yeah. Winnipeg's also tough to evaluate their players because 
the whole seems to be so much less than the sum of the parts in the Winni- in Winnipeg. And I don't know if that's because Maurice has been a bad coach. Are the players maybe not quite as good as we think? Or like it's hard to kind of pin down what that is. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think, I don't know, like I think this year it's kind of easy to look at the defense core and be like, okay, that's not helping anything either, right? No, definitely not. But, I mean, in past years, like, they had Bufflin, Truba, uh, you know, Tyler Myers is overrated, obviously, but even Tyler Myers on your third pair is not something to scoff at. Yeah, exactly, and they were still getting shelled with Bufflin and Truba and all those guys, so it's kind of tough. Yeah, it is definitely as tough. Um, okay, my 18, I have Travis Konechny. Uh, yeah, so I have Travis Konechny. Uh, when you go to Evolving Hockey and their GAR, he ranks pretty highly in that. Um, so I tried to, you know, over the past two year, two seasons, he has 17.1 goals above replacement, which uh, I don't have it off by hand, but that definitely ranks in the top, I believe, 20, 25 for wingers. Uh, so that's something I tried to take into consideration. I think he's one of those guys who just kind of does a little bit of everything for your team. And I always like those guys. He's not amazing defensively by any means. Like he's below average, but uh, his even strength is amazing. His uh, penalty take and draw is also very great. And he's amazing on the power play. So yeah, the he's not a defensive stalwart or whatever, but he's not like Ovi getting absolutely filled in defensively either. So he's just kind of plugging along. He's kind of quiet. Like he's not, like there's no never like national stories on Travis Konechny, but he's just quietly a good, a very good hockey player. Yep. Um, if you use uh, evolving hockey's wrap-up charts for the past three years, like he's his offensive numbers are off the chart, not off the charts. They are technically on the charts, quite literally. Um, but it's you know he's two standard deviations above in expected uh, goals for per sixty and Corsi four per sixty. He's just slightly below average in expected goals against and slightly above average in Corsi against per sixty. And then he's above average in everything on the power play too. So he's just one of those guys where yeah, like you said, he's never gonna draw you know national media or anything. And I don't think too many people are gonna be like, oh my god, you have to watch this Travis Konechny guy but he's just silently such a good player. Yeah, he's very good. And he's another one where he's been better. He was better last year than two years ago or whatever. But he's young enough that that could just reflect his changing actual talent rather than just him getting luckier last year. And I think it probably is just him getting better. Yeah, exactly. Um, Okay, so then who did you have for 17? 17, I had Timu Meyer. Timo Meyer, yeah. So I again, I didn't even think of him. That's a good one, though. Um, yeah, he's he's gonna be one of those guys you see on like all the stats people's underrated lists or whatever coming up. I would think. Yeah, for sure, especially with how bad San Jose's season has been. Oh yeah, like, like there's just nothing left on the Sharks. Yeah, like I think if this was last year, it'd be a little different because. Um, You'd be like, uh, if like, or sorry, if the Sharks had a year this year like they had last year, where it's like they made a, a big second round run or almost third round run again, because Timo Meyer was a big part of that team last year too, and like he got a little bit of coverage. Obviously, I still think he's probably underrated, um, but uh, generally speaking, like if the Sharks would have been in the spotlight a little bit more, it may have been different. But just given how many people just think of the Sharks and be like, oh yeah, they just have absolutely nothing going for them this year, uh, Timo Meyer is definitely a good name to have. Yeah, I like him a lot. And guys like Joe Thornton probably get some of the credit that Timo Meyer deserves for that Sharks team because they've older, they're older and they've done it for longer. But I think Timo Meyer is a legitimately like 
borderline elite winger already. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. Um, uh, yeah, I don't have much more to say on him. I don't know if you do. No, I don't obviously watch the Sharks a ton or whatever, but I think Meyer has a very impressive statistical resume for his age. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, that's a, that's a very solid choice. Uh, my number 17 is Philip Forsberg. Uh, he's a guy who his stats don't really jump off the page at you. Uh, you know, last year he had 50 points in 64 games. This one, 48 and 63. Um, part of the reason I like Forsberg so much is I really don't think that Nashville has a great def- uh, offensive core by any means. Uh, they pump so much money into the center position, and it's just Kyle Turris, Nick Benino, Matt Duchesne, all of them haven't worked out to an extent. You know, Duchesne's been all right, but for $9 million or whatever they gave him, I, I don't think he's been good enough. And Philip Forsberg just kind of chugs along. I mean, lately, you know, this the this past year, I think he took a little bit of a step back, but he's unreal on the power play. And considering Nashville has one of the worst power plays in the league, it's it's a shame that he doesn't get to use the puck a little more. Yeah, and you wonder, like, Nashville's power play has been so bad, and they've just tried to force feed that power play through the defensemen. They're like one of the only teams in the league that still goes three forwards, two D-men. You have to assume that the reason Nashville's power play is bad is coaching, right? I would guess so, yeah. Like, I probably. Like, I'd be surprised if you plucked Philip Forsberg and put him on the Boston Bruins power play. Like, I would think his point totals would skyrocket on a team with a competent power play. Yeah, I would no change his talent, just the system. Absolutely, I would think so. And I I should say that for Forsberg, I kind of use his, you know, uh, two years ago season uh, a little heavily to consider it. You know, this past year and last year, he wasn't bad by any means, but he had about, I think between the two years combined, he had 14 and a half goals above replacement. This uh, 17-18 season alone, he had 14 goals above replacement. So uh, he's clearly the talent's there, and it's kind of like the – Taylor Hall thing where it's like it's quite possible you know he's you know he's younger than Taylor Hall he's 25 now but I mean it is quite possible that you know this is kind of what he is now instead of being the 14 goals above replacement he's more just like six or seven which you're still not scoffing at especially given his contract yeah his contract's still a steal either way and yeah he's a tough one because there's been a bit of variance in his play but I just kind of have him plugging along as like the 30th ish best forward in the league and he's done it for long enough where i have a little higher on this list because other guys haven't been able to be as good as i have them as consistently as forsberg has yeah that's totally fair and again it's like you just kind of look at the nashville offensive core uh ryan drew hansen's the other center i didn't name it's not like these guys are bums or anything but it's just like when you compare it to other, some of the other wingers around the league, like Nylander has, you know, Nylander and Marner have each other, and then Matthews and Tavares to play with. You know, like, no offense, Matt Duchesne's a good player, but he's had Matt Duchesne this year, and then before this it was, like, Kyle Turris, who was being healthy, scratched, and, like, Victor Arvidsson, who couldn't really stay healthy half the time last year. So uh, what he does with how little he does, at least up front, is at least kind of somewhat impressive to me. Yeah, exactly. Like, you'd have to think the Predators would kill for, like, Ryan Getzlav, who we didn't even really consider in our top 10, even though we named, like, 15 centers each, right? But he would make that team so much better. So it's not like Forsberg's got a whole lot to work with up front. Exactly. Um, So where did you have Forsberg on your list, then? I have him 12th. 12th? Okay, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like, that's fine. Like, again... 
I think my cutoff kind of is to I have a couple guys grouped together that I think are very similar players. That's like, all right, I guess I'll just put them here and I'll explain that later. But I think for Forsberg, it's kind of in that range too, where it's like, you can make an argument for him to be higher on this list. And I will absolutely hear it because I have all the time in the world for a player like Philip Forsberg. Yeah. And he's a tough one too, with cutoffs because I believe it was his 17, 18. That was really, really good. So it depends what data you're looking at. Yeah, 17, 18, he was unreal. And then 18, 19, he was good, but not like elite, like not as good as 17, 18, obviously. And same with this year, kind of. So, um, yeah, okay, so, so I, just, oh, sorry. For the cutoff date. Yeah, it's just a good example. Like, cutoff date can change what you think exactly. of players, too. Yeah, for sure. And that's kind of where you have to take an age, I think, as well. Like, if Philip Forsberg is four years older, like kind of like Taylor Hall, you go, okay, maybe the past two years is just more what he is, except for, you know, if he's 24, 25, you go, okay, I could still see him getting back to the point of his 23 season. Not that it's a guarantee, but maybe. Yeah, the odds are certainly better being four years younger than uh, Taylor Hall or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so I had Matthew Kachuk, 16. Uh, we talked about him already. I don't think we need to get into him too much. Uh, so who did you have, 16? I had the guy Matthew Kachuk probably looks up to, Brendan Gallagher, 16. Oh, my God, there's another name I forgot. That's a good one. Gee, there's yeah, so I many really names, dude. Oh, yeah, there are no. so yeah, Gallagher's a very strong one. I kind of, I wish I would have kept him. I wish I would have had him on my list. I didn't even think of him. Um, yeah, okay. So I, I guess explain your case for Gallagher. So he's just like again. I don't think Gallagher's ever been particularly close to like a top ten player in the league or whatever. But he's just been consistently, in my opinion, like a top fifty-ish skater for basically forever now. And he's just plugging along quietly, doing his thing. He doesn't get gaudy point total. He's not. He's obviously a shit disturber. He's maybe not the most exciting player to watch either. But when Brendan Gallagher's on the ice, the team gets good results, and that's been going on for long enough that I'm comfortable with him. Sixteen. Yeah, that's that's totally fair. I mean, look at his point totals right now: forty-three and fifty-nine this year. So I think he was on pace pretty much to break his record this year. Um, now he was hurt for a little bit, so he wouldn't have actually, but over a per eighty-two game pace probably. Uh, but then 52 and 82 uh, games, 54 points in 82 games, 29 and 64, 40, 47, 41. Uh, 40 and 53 was a strong one in the 15-16 season. But yeah, so he's never like popped off the page, but he just, when he's on the ice, the Habs control play, and that's all you can ask for, really. Yeah, and he, I haven't looked into this, so I can't make this like a really strong claim, but I think Gallagher probably gets the least help from power play production of anyone on my list. I would assume so. I mean, yeah, like, uh, I'm just trying to think, like, even, like, just thinking about Montreal's power play, like, they have Shea Weber, but just bombing it from the point isn't the most efficient thing. But then when you think up up front, uh, they used to have Pacioretty and Radulov. That season would have been probably pretty good. But other than that, I mean, it's not like he has a ton of help up front. No, not really at all. And they kind of fall into that Nashville trap where they just love bombs from their marquee blue liner, Shea Weber. And that is obviously a very inefficient way to run your power play, which probably eats away at some of Gallagher's like raw point totals. Yeah, uh, for yeah, 100%. And I, if I'm Gallagher, I wouldn't want to be standing in front of the net while Shea Weber throws bombs at me either. So, But he does. Another, yeah, and good for him. 
Yeah, he's he really is like uh, I think your comparison to Matthew Kachuk is pretty good in terms of just like I think they're they're different players, but like in terms of how little we see that style of play today, they are very similar in that they're just like ratty players that are going to get under your skin, but are also very talented at playing hockey. Yeah. Okay. Question: If um, what's his name Brady? Sorry, yeah, Brady Kachuk has the exact same career as Brendan Gallagher to date. Are you happy with the pick? Um, yeah, probably. I mean, in a vacuum, yes. I'm still, I don't know. Like, it, it's tough to say because uh, um, with the the with the Brady Kachuk pick, I was always on the band of they should turn it over and go for the first overall pick next year. Um, yeah. Now, obviously, if I have the info of given what we know, um, they got fourth anyway, so it didn't really matter. Uh, but I think it's hard to be mad if you if with your fourth overall pick you get a consistent first line winger for a decade yeah there are like context around the pick that might disappoint you but just in general fourth overall you i think you should be pretty happy walking away from the draft if you got a player like that yeah and i'll also say that in uh you know gallagher played a couple years in the minors before he came up it looks like he was in hamilton for half a year and then came up to the nhl um Kachuk's already beaten his goal totals for the first couple years in the NHL. Uh, like his, Gallagher's first year, he had 15, then 19, then 24. Uh, Kachuk had, I believe, 20 last year. And then I think he was at 22 in the shortened season this year. Um, or sorry, 22 last year, 21 this year. And obviously there's still 11, there were still 11 more games to be played this year. So he might have hit, you know, 25 or something like that. Oh, yeah, he's done... Brady has done much more at a younger age, so you have to imagine the ceiling is higher. But yeah, and obviously, I think the one good thing that the one thing Gallagher does really well that I want Brady Kachuk to learn how to do is he draws a lot of penalties, but he doesn't take too many. Um, you know, Gallagher he always is under the skin of someone just taking punches, or whatever. Kachuk's doing the same thing, but Kachuk has 106 penalty minutes this year and 75 last year. Um, that's, uh, it is what it is. Cause he draws a lot too, but if he, if he could figure out a way to get the penalty take down while keep the penalty draw up, that would be, uh, I think that would do wonders in just even moving Kachuk up these rankings. Yeah. It'd be very nice. Cause with a player who gets under everybody's skin, like Brady penalty differential is going to be one of the things that he can do better than a lot of guys on this list. If he manages to be a little more disciplined. Exactly. Um, so Gallagher was your 16? Yeah. All right, so who do you have 15 then? Uh, this is where it gets a little dicier. I have Patrick Kane at 15. Okay, I have him a few spots higher. I'll say I have him at 11 right now. Um, okay. I would hear an argument to bumping him down. I, I Kane's one of those in um, – I think obviously both me, you and I – know or believe that Kane is pretty overrated because I think most people would have him top three on this list. Yeah, I consistently see him right near the top of lists like this. Yeah, and I don't think, I mean, I've said it a couple times, I think, on this podcast, I don't think he's near there. Uh, he gives up so much, or not so, he gives up so much defensively um, that it's like what he creates offensively at 5v5 is almost canceled out, and that just means he's a very, very good power play person, which there's no issue with that. It's just, to me, that doesn't make him a top three winger in the entire league. Yeah, exactly. Like, his power play value is still, like, he's still amazing on the power play, obviously, but his 5-on-5 value being worse than a lot of people might expect drags him way down for me. 
Yeah, exactly. And I, I would definitely agree with that. I think one of the things that I kind of, um, you know, so the, the biggest pushback I always get when I mention that Kane might be overrated from Hawks fans is that, oh, well, he's been asked to play offensively, so he cheats offensively and doesn't make up for defensively. And to me, I say, I don't really care. Like, like he still is producing the same amount while cheating offensively. So I don't really care. But for bumping him up the list, I would say that uh, if you look at, you know, some of the teammates that he's had in Chicago, it's not always the uh, the nicest sledding. You know, when he gets to play with Debrinket, that's always good because Debrinket looks like an actual player. But then you also look at some guys and you just don't know who the two wingers that are or the centermen and winger that are strapped to his side are. You're like, OK, well, it's, I guess, pretty impressive. He's still putting up 90 points like this. Yeah, like when you're playing with Nick Schmaltz putting up 95 points. Not that Nick Schmaltz is a bad player, but it's not like he's really helping your numbers much either. Yeah, exactly. So that, that bumps him up a little bit for me. But yeah, I would say that, uh, you know, and once I get to the other guy that's right around him, I, I think I, I can explain my reasoning a little better. But I think 15 is a fair spot for him. I think any lower than that, and I might start pushing back a little bit, but like, I don't know. Yeah, and it gets into the thing, too, where, like, I think it's good to have him on the list because, like, his say his goals for are almost outweighed by his expected goals against on defense. But, like, you can be so much more confident that a good offensive player is going to have that translate to goals for than you can that a good defensive player is going to translate to low goals against that I'd rather take the offensive guy all else equal. Exactly. And I mean, and like, you know, so I'm on evolving hockey as goals above replacement again. And you look at their even strength. Uh, if you look at his even strength offense over the past two years, it's 11.4, 15.8 His even strength defense is minus 7.8 and minus 7.2. So he's still uh, by their model. Anyways, obviously every model uh, differs a little bit. He's still producing more than he's giving up. And then on the power play, he's 2.5 and 1.2. So, uh, and then his penalty take and draws are both pretty good. His penalty takes are really solid. He doesn't take much at all. Yeah, which is a great little undervalued thing there. Exactly. Like last year, I, uh, he played a ton of minutes last year, and he only had 22 penalty minutes. So, like, I'm assuming 11 minor penalties, which is uh, really good. Yeah, that's another thing with uh, Kane is he plays so freaking much that, like, a player like Mitch Marner will – almost like probably outscore Kane on a per minute basis, but Kane just plays so much more than almost any other forward. Definitely more than most, if not all other wingers that his raw totals can look more impressive than his actual efficiency, just because Chicago relies on him so heavily. For sure. And I mean, obviously there's good and bad to that. Uh, the, the, you know, the thing you could take away from Kane there is, well, if you gave other players more minutes, they could maybe do the same. But I think the thing that uh, in that case that you do have to kind of give them is other players may tire out if they're playing 24 minutes a night, 82 games a season. Yeah, it gets into that weird thing because you can never actually know how well Mitch Marner would play if he played 22 and a half minutes a night or whatever. So it's it's really tough to weigh that. Yeah, for sure. Um, So my 15, I had Vladimir Tarasenko here. Um, again, this is, I just kind of threw him at 15 cause I wasn't sure where to put him. He's obviously been injured all this year, but you know, the past two years, he was still a very, very, very good winger. 
Um, and if they do come back to play playoffs, his his return will be uh, much looked forward to. Uh, you know, he was huge for them in the playoffs. I think last year too, scoring he wasn't always on the score sheet, but I think he, you know, uh, if you want to do the quote unquote, showed up when it mattered, he kind of did that uh, throughout the playoff run. And uh, so for me, I had him just kind of at 15 because. When he was healthy, he was all right. He only played 10 games this year, but he had a 1.7 goals above replacement. But the past two years, he's been very, very good. Yeah, my models are tend to be – it's weird because I used to be really, really high on Tarasenko. Like, I would consistently end up with him in, like, the top 10 back in the, like, 13, 14, 14, 15 days. My sort of models have soured on him a little bit. Still, he's still a very good hockey player, but I haven't – a step back from that elite tier that he used to be in. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that's fair. I don't know. Like, I think I'd be a little worried uh, given his injury now this year too, because uh, he is also older. He's 28 now. So it's kind of like the Taylor Hall thing where you never know, but I think his point totals, they've taken a bit of a dip recently too, like 68 and 76 and 66 in 80, but 17 points in 26 playoff games last year. And this year he started real well. Like he was 10 points in 10 games and, you know, who knows if that keeps going, uh, if that would have kept going. But uh, yeah, I don't know. He, for me, he's one of those guys where I'm going to see, need to see another season where he takes uh, an obvious step back before I take him, you know, out of that top 20 range. Yeah, that's reasonable. Like he's, he's been pretty consistent for long enough that it's perfectly fair to just defer to what we've seen. And he has done it for five years now. Yeah, exactly. That's that's perfectly reasonable. Uh, So who'd you have at 14 then? Uh, Kind of the mirror of 15. I have Alex Ovechkin. Okay. So I had him 12. So I had them 11, 12. I had them a little higher than you did just because I figured both of them, I kind of wanted to try and give points a little bit, but uh, it's the same idea as Kane, obviously, where it's like he gives up so much defensively as well that it's hard to have him in the top five like I think a lot of people would. Yeah, and that's the thing. Everybody with Ovi, they always cite that he scores 50 goals. And they're like, well, that's what hockey's about, scoring goals. It's like, no, hockey's about scoring more goals than you allow, not just scoring goals. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like when you're – and again, it's kind of the same with Kane where it's like, yeah, they kind of cancel each themselves out on offense or on 5v5, but Ovechkin is just – it's uh, it's amazing how he can still just stay that wide open on the power play at times. But he can also do that because Washington has a bunch of other really good power play guys, obviously. Nicholas Backstrom, you can't leave him open. You can't leave John Carlson open, you know, so that allows OB to get open. Um uh, he, evolving hockey's uh, model doesn't like him as much uh, in terms of just because they don't like his even strength defense at all, uh, which is fair. <laughs> I mean, uh, like there's not much more to like that. That's obviously you see. I, I don't know. Have you ever seen Alexander Ovechkin live? I no, I have not. Okay, so I got to watch. I've got to see him twice live. I watched him play Ottawa one year, and then last year I went down to Buffalo and watched him play Buffalo. And you know how like people say. You know, obviously, like, watching a game live is a little different than on TV. But you know how on TV – or uh, people always say if you watch him live, he'll just, like, coast out of the offensive end even if it's a three-on-one back the other way. Or it's like he'll just not be around for 45 minutes of a game but then suddenly just pot one in the back of the net. It's like, oh, there's Ovechkin with two goals quickly in the game. Yeah, like, you can't change the game in one swing of a stick. 
Yeah, that is exactly how he plays. So I went down and we watched him play Buffalo, I believe on a Sunday in just like March or something like that. So it was a game that meant absolutely nothing to Buffalo and very little to Washington because they almost had the division wrapped up already. And it was it was a slow game. Like it wasn't it was all right. It wasn't super exciting. But Ovechkin literally would coast out of the offensive zone, even if it was a four on three back the other way. But then I was like, wow, Ovechkin's unnoticeable. And then with five minutes left, he scored one on the power play to bring them within one and then scored another one. 25 seconds later to tie the game up it's like oh there's Alex Ovechkin and that is just the kind of player he is I think yeah exactly and the other another thing you said this with Kane I hear it a lot with Ovi too where they say oh he scores 50 goals so they don't want him playing defense or whatever but it's like you think the coaches expect Artemi Panarin to win a Selkie no of course they don't and yet Panarin finds a way to not get absolutely freaking crushed defensively when he's on the ice Yeah, exactly. Like, there's a difference between uh, being the best defensive forward or out there and just, you know, being average. Like, we talked, we've talked about guys on this list already, and, you know, Austin Matthews the other day, it's just like, and Konechny today, it's just, you know, you don't need to be unreal defensively, you just need to not get slaughtered while you're out there. Yeah, exactly. Like, as long as you're not, like, an active liability, whereas Ovi and Patrick Kane are in that tier where they are actively liabilities. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so I had them a little higher just because goals and points, but uh, it's kind of the same idea where I think they're just outside the top 10 for me, and you know, for you, obviously, they're just inside the top 15 or whatever, um, and that's fair. I think that's kind of the range they should be if we're looking at this uh, statistically. Yeah, exactly, because there's not that much of a difference in this no, little range. No, not really. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so my 14, I, oops, sorry, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I just feel there is like a distinct group at the top that I feel they are absolutely not in. Yeah, I have a very, very distinct top three, a pretty distinct next three to five-ish. And then, like, I think my top ten, I, I just feel like they're probably not in the top ten. Or if they are, it's like nine or ten, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Like, there are, I have a seven dudes at the top that I'm confident in and I wouldn't put Ovi or Kane near them. Yeah, I have that as well. And then I have, you know, I guess from eight to 10, I have three guys where it's like, yeah, they're all kind of on the edge, but not quite there either. I don't think. Um, so um, okay, my, my 14 is Chris Kreider. Ooh, that's a fun one. Yeah. Um, he's just kind of a guy who I think he, so I like guys who can do more with less and that's kind of what Kreider's been the past couple years in, uh, New York. Now, obviously, this year, Artemi Panarin is on the team, and that changes things a lot. But uh, in past years, it was like, I love Mika Zibanejad, but he's still probably like, like the I don't know, the 25th best center in the league? Yeah, 20th, he's a, maybe? I had him as the 49th best offensive, or like forward last year. So like, yeah. that's still comfortably a first-line center, but it's not like... It's not like he's like a lights out top 10 guy like we had on our list the other day, right? So, and, and that like, I like, again, I love Zabanajad, but, uh, you know, that's kind of all Kreider had to work with for a little while. Like, Ryan Strom's their other centerman, and all the, or a bunch of the young guys they brought in have just been absolutely atrocious. So, uh, to me, Chris Kreider doing what he does is, uh, has been fun to watch the past couple of years. He's just one of those guys who just seems so relatively consistent at controlling play while he's on the ice that I, uh, I really appreciate that. Um, especially for, you know, considering he's not been on the greatest team in the past couple seasons. 
Yeah, and he's a fun player to watch. He's one of those guys that, like, it's almost too bad we have a salary cap because I have a feeling a lot of people are going to hate him because of the way his contract's going to look in the next little bit, even though no fault of his own, get your money. And then, like, he's just been very solid. Absolutely. And that's kind of why, you know, maybe I have him a little high here, but, like, I don't know. Like, the goals above replacement models usually really like him. And he's just one of those guys where, you know, he's – he just doesn't make too many mistakes, and he plays a bit more chippy of a style as well. Um, yeah, I, I was pretty against the Rangers keeping him. I thought they could have got a haul for him if they traded him at the deadline. I think any team acquiring him at the deadline, I know we had the conversation the other day about how how much does deadline acquisitions actually help your chances. I think Kreider is definitely one of the few players that you could – uh, make the argument for you know spending a first round pick or whatever because if you're right on the edge there he could push you over the edge going forward uh, for this play uh, playoff run. Yeah, he kind of seemed like the dream. Like remember when the Rangers traded Rick Nash to Boston? Like he seemed mm-hmm. like he could go to Boston in that exact same kind of ilk and actually have the potential to be like a first line player that changes the game a little bit when he's on the ice. But exactly, I guess they but keep him. Yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe I have him a little bit high. You know, I probably could have bumped him down. You know, that uh, looking at it now, maybe that's kind of where I'd have Ranton in at fourteen ish. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I want to give some love to Chris Kreider because I know, yeah, as you said, he's definitely going to be become one of the guys that's like, oh, okay, that's not a great looking contract, especially if he doesn't age real well. Which you know, the style of play he plays, he might not. Yeah, I can't. I wouldn't be surprised if he's one of the guys who age hits him really fast by the time he's like 30 years old. Exactly. Um, okay, so who did you have in your 13 spot then? I had Rantanen, speak of the devil. Okay, yep, so that's pretty good. Like I think if I would have redone the list, maybe I would have bumped Kreider off or down or off of it um, and put Rantanen right around 14 there. Um Ranton, you know, it sucks that he he was injured for a good part of this year because I, I thought, you know, his coming out party was obviously last year um, where he just put up all the points in the world alongside uh, uh, McKinnon. But yeah, his point totals finally popped off the page there. He's one of those tough ones where, like, you do have to distribute credit between him and McKinnon and Landis Cog were on the ice. And I don't think Ranton and maybe just as much as some other people do, even though he is obviously a very talented hockey player. Yeah, for sure. I, I think when you're playing alongside a top three center in the league, you know, it's where we had McKinnon uh, the other day uh, that it's, and, and especially when Gabriel Landeskog's on your other wing too, it's kind of like, it's like the Boston line. And okay, you know, if you split all these guys up, they're all probably still going to be amazing, right? But it's like, how much credit do you give to each one of them is a little harder to weigh. But, you know, Rantanen, it's really hard to argue against 84 points in 81 games, 87 points in 74 games, and then 41 points in 42 games. Uh, So having him in the top 15, I think, is absolutely a no-brainer. Yeah, and he's definitely good. I Again, I think he's worse than the Boston guys. That line gets worse results and everything, but, like, the line is still amazing. Like, I would say they're probably the second or third best line in the league. Yeah, they're kind of tough. I don't think they're as good as everyone else does because a lot more of their points come on the power play than at five on five. And I think if you're talking about how good the line is, you should essentially only be focusing on five on five. But like they yeah, still, I, I believe they run at like a 55% or 54.5 like goals for percentage, which is amazing. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's really good. I, I, I'm trying to think of other lines that would contend with them. Probably Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, and name your center on Vegas. Like yeah, the stat, like Stats, Stone. Oh, no, Stone. Stats, I think. Yeah. And that one was running at like, obviously it got cut off. It was a short, a small sample size, but that was running at like 65% expected goals and like a 72% Corsi percentage over the span of like eight games or something like that. It was like, these guys are just unstoppable. Yeah, they were hilariously good. Yeah. I'm sure Tampa's got some lines that probably put up better results quietly than the Colorado line that everybody loves. Oh, probably like that Kucherov line last year, and you know, was it Kucherov point? And I don't. They had so many that it was just like, yeah, it's kind of hard to disagree with that, right? Yeah, and the team itself just saw so much freak, freaking success that like, there's so much credit to go around for those players in Tampa. That yeah. Um. Okay, so that was your 13, correct? Yeah. Okay, so my 13, I had Tivu Teravainen. That's um, a good one. I wanted him. Yeah, he's another guy where it's like I think you could bump him down a little bit if you wanted, but he's just he doesn't get the recognition he deserves. I think playing in the market that he plays in, uh, you know, as unfair as that may be, but he and I think he's also another guy where it's like if you just look at his raw point totals, you're going to be underwhelmed uh, for having him 13th best winger in the league. But he just he uh, runs the play so well, like he's a big part of the reason why Carolina controls play so well and. Uh, obviously, with Carolina, given that the results are never have never been amazing except for last year's playoff run, it's fair to ask. Okay, you know this team that has all all these good players that look great in terms of advanced stats, are they overrated by the advanced stats, or have they just been you know perennially, Jesus, unlucky? Um, and I don't know. Like it, the answer maybe lies in the middle somewhere, but I still think it's fair to say that someone like Teravainen is probably pretty underratedly wide. Yeah, I would think so. He's got the point totals have started to catch up more recently. I think last year he had like a really, really good season from a points perspective where you maybe start to see him get a little more love. But in Carolina, you're even if you're if you do amazing in Carolina, you're not going to have national stories written about you all the time. Yeah, exactly. He had 76 points in 82 games last year. He's at 63 and 68 this year and 64 and 82 two seasons ago. So, like, his points are definitely starting to catch up. But um, he's one of those guys where it's like if you look at him and you go, okay, well, he's not even point per game. You know, is he really uh, the 13th best best winger in the league? I would say absolutely. Or he's got to be absolutely close and you can make an argument for it. No problem. Yeah, exactly. Like, he can score a high enough clip. He's responsible defensively. He's one of those weird players who's like really good but can't draw a penalty to save his life. I never really yeah. know how to take those. Yeah, it's so weird too because and you know with drawing drawing and taking penalties like obviously it's a, a great skill to have but it, you know in the NHL sometimes it can be as simple as well maybe the refs don't like you and they think you dive too much or something like that as stupid as it sounds. Yeah, it sounds dumb. And then you watch Connor McDavid like Connor McDavid. More com- infractions are committed on Connor McDavid than any other player in the league, but he doesn't lead the league in drawn penalties. Oh, yeah. You watch any shift from McDavid, and there's like two or three hooking or holding penalties. It's like, okay, you got to call these. Like, Yeah, like it's almost as if the game was called properly. They'd spend like the entire game on the power play. But they yeah, don't and they get, uh, yeah, and 
I get why that wouldn't that to that extreme maybe wouldn't be quite as fun, but like the fact that Connor McDavid will get hooked three times on the same shift, tap a dude on the glove and get it called for a slash, and Edmonton is down on a penalty kill, that is stupid. Yeah, very much so. Um, okay, so you had your twelve already, right? Was that uh who is that? I Ford. Forsberg, okay, yeah. So uh, we talked about him already, I guess. Uh, so I've already listed my 12 as well, Ovechkin, and my 11 is Kane. So who's your 11? Mitch Marner. Mitch Marner, yeah, okay. So I have him at 9. Um, again, he's kind of in that group where it's just like uh, he could be a couple spots down or maybe even one or two spots up, but I think he's outside of the top five right now, uh, but I think he's definitely inside the top 15. Yeah, I have him comfortably in the next tier. Like, I don't think he's one of the very best wingers in the game, but anywhere around 10, I think, is a very comfortable spot for him. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, you know, he's amazing on the power play. Uh, it's it's funny. I'm, I'm glad we don't really hear the Marner versus Nylander uh, debates anymore, or at least I don't. I don't know if you still do, but I see them a lot less on Twitter. Yeah, I don't really think they happen. I'm sure you can find them if you go looking for them, but... Like, it's never a major conversation topic on Leafs Twitter anymore. No, and part of that might be because of the contract and stuff like that, too. But, yeah, just for what Marner – and it, it was always so stupid that it was a Marner versus Nylander thing and not a Marner and Nylander thing because they almost couldn't be more opposite of players. You know, Marner's great on the power play, and he's fine five-on-five, five, but, you know, he's not amazing or anything, whereas Nylander's a great di- uh, distributor five-on-five. Five. He's got all kinds of uh, skill. He's good on the power play, but Marner definitely thrives on the power play where he gets a little more ice to, to get up, look, and uh, make a pass. Yeah, it's one of those tough things where, again, we talked about the system being one of the reasons why Philip Forsberg might not have as many point totals, but like, or have the point totals. But in 16-17, I had Nylander as like one of the most efficient power play players in the league. And then in 17-18, Marner just took that spot. So I think they're both like not as different as people might think. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe usage could be a thing, because I know Nylander, when Marner got on the team, Nylander got bumped down to the second unit. It's not like Nylander's a bum on the power play or anything like that, but I think Nylander also has bit uh, much more of a, a shooting threat. Um, like, Nylander, yeah. uh, the biggest knock on Marner, if you will, I think, or at least that I've heard from you know radio and stuff like that, is that it's sometimes so obvious that he's looking for a pass to Matthews or whatever that you know, people kind of realize he's not going to turn and shoot where it's like he needs to be able to work to just turn and wrist a shot on net to, you know, keep the goalie on the on his toes or whatever. Yeah, I don't know how much I buy when I hear that because nobody ever says that about shooters, even though if that was true, the reverse should be true as well. Uh, yeah, I guess so. But um, I don't know. Like, I think if you can prove... I don't, like, I don't, it kind of goes both ways, I guess. Like, Marner's proved that he can pass it all the time as well. I think it's more just one of those things where it's like, for him to take the next step from being, say, the 10th best winger in the league to, like, the third best winger in the league, he might need to de- develop more of a goal-scoring touch. Um, or maybe just play better defensively, I guess. Like, there's a couple ways you can improve yourself, obviously, but... Yeah, he's, like, quietly okay defensively. Maybe even, like, a little above average. But as for the shooting thing, like, the other thing that irritated me is that narrative came up in a season where Mitch Marner had, like, the highest primary assist rate that we have statistics for. Like, I'm not entirely sure what else he possibly could have done. Like, clearly his passing was working because nobody else had assisted on goals at the rate that he had last season. Well, yeah, like, even this season, um, the thing is he needs to shoot more. Well, he's got 51 assists in 59 games played, so is it, like... 
is it that bad that he keeps passing? Probably not. And, yeah, and exactly. by probably, like, I mean what, definitely not. But yeah, like what do you ex- what do you expect from really? Yeah, I mean, he's never been, even like looking back at junior, he's never been uh, a huge goal scorer. He's always been a pass first guy. I mean, I mean, his uh, record breaking, you know, seasons where it was like in the OHL in 1415, he had 126 points in 63 games. He had 44 goals and 82 assists. The next year, 39 goals, 77 assists in 57 games. So, and then a ridiculous 44 points in 18 playoff games. Jesus. Yeah, which is just yeah, like, like I'm, not, that broke OHL records, but still. Yeah, there's nothing in his past that suggests he's going to be any more than like a 20 goal guy based on true talent somewhere around yeah. there, anyways. Yeah, the 20 goals and then but like a dumb 60, 65 assist mark kind of thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Maybe he goes on a shooting heater one year and scores 32 goals or something like that, but. Yeah, he's definitely the playmaker, which again, there's. You know, you need those too. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, yeah, okay, exactly. so who, who did you have uh, number ten then? I had Jamie Ben. Jamie Ben. So I left him off the list. I wanted to add him, but I don't know. Like I, I'm trying to figure out how much I buy into this season. Like he's. It's fair to say a lot of the Dallas players have taken a bit of a step back this year, but uh, Jamie Ben, I think especially. Yeah, In I terms- think. In terms of what he did the last two seasons. Not what they were. Yeah, I mean, so again, I would assume for you, it's probably because you're using priors here, which is fair. Uh, You look at the 17-18 season, 22 goals above replacement. Last year, 10.6. This year, 7.8. So it's like, he's still a good player by all means. It's just, I don't know how, I'm a little worried that this downward trend is just uh, age regression and not a, a down year or two. Yeah, and he's 30 years old. He plays like that physical style. There is a non-zero chance that we're not getting elite Jamie Benn ever again. For sure. I, I think, for what it's worth, I think the Dallas system maybe plays well into keeping him a more useful player for a longer time. Um, they play a very defensive system, obviously, and uh, this year his defense, so last year's defense uh, by from Evolving Hockey was 1.2. This year it's 3.2, although his offense has dropped by about you know, from 8.4 to 3. So that's unfortunate, but if he plays a more defensive style, I think he could still be a useful player for a couple more years for sure. Yeah, and he always seemed like a guy that could be Maybe not like a Mark Stone style, like two-way forward, but still be very effective as a two-way guy. Exactly. Um, yeah, so I think Jamie Bat. I probably, if I would have had him on my list, probably went closer to 20. But I think it's more just the fear of age regression for me at this point. Yeah, which is 100% reasonable. Uh, my 10 was Johnny Goudreau. Uh, another guy who had a down year this year, but uh, given his age, I'm a little more confident that that'll bounce back next year. Yeah, that's fair. I had him eight. I've been really, really high on him in the past. And then, again, common theme, I don't think he just became bad last year. Yeah, I mean, here's Evolving Wilds numbers for him. Uh, 17.3, 17.1, and then three this year. So uh, I'm willing to take a chance, at least, on Johnny Goudreau being, what is he, 26? Is even that? Uh, Uh, about 26 on the dot if I had to 20, get 20, yeah 26 on the dot I would still take enough of a bet on him that he didn't suddenly just become um a close to replacement level player after two almost elite seasons in a row and uh, probably a third one before that even 
Yeah, like he's been very good for a long time. In that 18-19 season, I had him inside like the top 10 players in terms of value. Yeah, I mean, even just from a points perspective, he put 99 points up in 82 games, so. Yeah, he was amazing. And that Calgary team itself got amazing results, so it stands to reason that their best player was a big part of that. Yeah, exactly. I Yeah, that's uh, I totally agree with that. Um, there's not much more I have to say on Goudreau. He's just one of those guys where, you know, again, if he takes another step back next year, he'll definitely fall down this list quite a bit. But for me, I just have him at 10 right now, and you have him at 8, obviously, because of just his priors and that, you know, this year's been unfortunate, but that's probably, you know, you hope that's not what his true talent is going forward. Yeah, exactly. So I've I said that earlier I have a distinct, like, top seven. Goudreau could easily have made that a top eight, but he was bad enough this year that it's it's worthy of some concern, but... Yeah. Um, so who do you have at nine? I had... So I had Mitch Marner. So before you get into your top seven, who did you have at nine to round it out? I had Jonathan Huberto. Jonathan Huberto. Okay, so I have him at eight. So he was my next guy. Um, okay. So we have the same guys, just in a little bit different order up top here. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Huberto, I will stand on the, the fence that I think he is one of the most underrated players in the league. Um, I got some pushback on that. People apparently seem to think that the casual fan or whatever knows who he is. I don't believe that at all. I don't think most people know that he had 92 points last year and was on pace for 90 again this season. Um I think when you say underrated forward from Florida, people just realize the Barkov treatment and go, oh, yeah, no, he is definitely not underrated. But I think with Huberto, he absolutely is. Just not even from a points perspective, too, but he controls play so well that, like, I don't know. Like, I just, I don't see how he's not underrated. Yeah, like, you never really see Stats Twitter talking about him either, even though there's a very good argument that he's, yeah, like a top 10 winger in the league, and nobody really talks about it. Yeah, and I think that's just kind of the reason why like I would say he's probably one of the most under I think him or Sean Couturier Couturier's definitely got a good vote for that considering I think most people still don't realize how close he is to it or how much how many selkies he probably should have by this point in his career uh which is definitely more than the zero that he has I would argue but uh for Huberto I, I just he's one of those guys where it's like obviously people in Florida aren't going to get as much media attention and it's kind of like Carolina where it's unfortunate but that's just how it's going to go but yeah, it's, it is just straight up a smaller market. There's really nothing you can do about it. Yeah, but I mean, the guy, like the past three years, he was on pace for 92.6 points this year. He had 92 points in 82 last year, 69 in 82 year, year before. Uh, you know, he had uh, not injury concerns, but he never really played full seasons to start his career. The past three years, he has barely missed a beat. Like, I think he missed maybe one game this year, and he's missed zero the past two seasons. So that's also something that... Uh, you know, not a huge factor in for me, but you know, longevity and health is definitely something that uh, is encouraging going forward. Yeah, exactly. It always sucks to evaluate players that are injured because, like, it's probably not their fault. But also, like, it's hard to extrapolate someone's numbers who was injured all the time because we never know how that might have changed if they played an additional 50 games in the season. But now it's nice to see Huberto playing the full seasons. He is legitimately amazing. Exactly. Uh, okay, so we're both through our top eight now. You know, Taylor Hall's your five. We know that, but uh, we don't know any of my top seven or any of the rest of your seven. So do you want to give me your number seven? I have Claude Giroux. I also have Claude Giroux. I think this is where we're finally going to start having some guys at least be very close in rankings. Yeah, I would think so. There's a pretty distinct group at the top. 
Yeah, so we had talked about this before, and there's there's one other guy that we have that could be considered a center as well. I think by this point in his career, though, Chiru is considered just a winger. Um, he's been a winger for the past, you know, two seasons or whatever, and even three years ago, he was mostly a winger, I believe. So uh, he's a winger, definitely, and uh, moving to the wing really revitalized his career to the point where, like, in 17-18, sorry, in 16-17, uh, it looked like he might be done as a player, and then in 17-18, he was a top-five player in the league, in my opinion. Yeah, he's he's one of the tough ones to evaluate. People always talk about context matters with statistics and then don't really delve into it. But, like, you could make a purely statistical case that he's, like, three or whatever you want. But I am a little fishy that it looked like his career was done and, and he started one of the league's best play drivers. And then even his isolated numbers magically went way back up after he was on Couturier's line. So I, I'm, like, a little skeptical. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's definitely fair to say that Couturier is the one driving the bus there in terms of uh, getting the best out of Claude Giroux. But I still think that there's something to be said about being able to play alongside elite players. And when you were elite once as well, uh, being able to take advantage of that to where you're still a very, very good player now, too, has to give you some credit as well. Oh, yeah. Like, I still have him seven. Like, he's still clearly a top-tier player, but maybe not quite as good. Like, I think over the past three seasons, his... Goals above replacement from evolving hockey ranks him in, yeah, like fifth overall. Like, I don't think he was the fifth best player in the league. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I I think, yeah, I mean, they had three or two seasons ago, I guess, he was amazing. Last season, he was very good. And then this season, he's been very solid as well. You know, nine goals above replacement is not something to scoff at. But, uh, yeah, to your point, I think I would agree with that in terms of it's definitely probably not him or just him driving the bus. But, you know, when he – I think it's he's kind of a nice case study to show where it's like for older aging centermen, moving them to wing to the point where they don't have to do as much defensively is really opening what he could do offensively up because his even strength number suddenly shot up just off the charts in terms of offense. You know, his defensive impact, he doesn't do too much. He's, he's not negative or anything. He just doesn't – do a lot defensively, but he doesn't need to because he's playing with one of the best defensive centers in the league. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's not a bad defensive player. You could even say he's just, like, good to, like, a little above average or whatever, but he doesn't need to be the guy shouldering everything because he has Sean Couturier on this playing center for him. Yep, and as much as you, you know, you can take that away from him a little bit, but it's also, I think a lot of guys in his position probably wouldn't have wanted to change to a winger. Uh, They probably would have viewed that as demotion, but he took it, and his career has been so much better because of it now. Yeah, exactly, and he's one of those guys, face-offs tend to be overrated by the mainstream media and on broadcasts and stuff, but Claude Giroux is, like, so freaking good in the face-off circle, it is, like, a legitimate help for your team. Yep. Um, okay, so who do you have at number six, then? At number six, I have David Pasternak. I also have David Pasternak. Look at us getting a couple guys right on the same spot. Yeah, that's pretty good for a 20-person list, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I have Pasternak six, and then I had Brad Marsh on five. Um, I think you could have really reversed these two if you really wanted to, but I think I had Marsh on just a little higher because his... Uh, I don't know about his raw points, but I know his underlying numbers have been a bit stronger lately. And again, like we've talked about these guys so much now between the wingers and centers list where it's like it is really tough to just kind of differentiate the, between the two. Yeah, like who's doing, especially on that Boston line where like 
we're pretty sure all three of them are top ten in the league at their position. Yeah, exactly. You know, top yeah, top six, I guess, is what we had because we had Bergeron four and six, right? So yeah, um, yeah, it's so tough to like tell between. And again, like I don't know what your model says, but uh, the evolving hockey one here is goals above replacement. Brad Marchand in nineteen twenty twenty point six, and then you know if I sort by per season, it goes Brad Marchand is the best, then Pasternak with the next two, then Marchand with the next two, and then Pasternak with the last one. Well, the first and fifth ones were separated by three goals above replacement, and the sixth one was 13.8 compared to the 20.6 at the start. So all of those don't have a very big gap. They are very, very similar players in terms of their overall production. Yeah, exactly. I have Pasternak better in 18-19, but other than that, I've had Marshan as better, which is why I just give him the slight edge because basically he's done it longer. But Pasternak's so, young, so... So where do you have uh, Marshawn on your list then? I have him four. Four, okay. So oh, you might not have someone that I have in my top four here, which could be an interesting discussion. I think I might know who it is too. But um, So then, yeah, so I don't have much more to say on those. I feel like we've talked about these guys in depth. Sorry, Boston fans, but they're both obviously – we've talked about how elite that line is and how if you split them up, it probably wouldn't be a bad idea. But at the same time, when you're the best line in hockey – you know, if it's don't if it's not broke, maybe don't fix it if, if you're winning games that way. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't have much more to say to you. Yeah, and again, it was one thing in like I think it was sixteen seventeen where Boston as a team didn't look quite as scary, but the line was still chugging along at like a sixty percent goals for percentage. But now the whole team is rolling to the point where it's just like, yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Exactly. Um, so you have Taylor Hall at five. Uh, did you have anything other than what we've already uh, mentioned him for? No, I don't think so. I'm, I really hope he gets back to form. I do too. Like I love watching Taylor Hall. I did, you know, I didn't want to put him at twenty. It's just for his past season and a half or so. I, I just couldn't not put him there. It felt like. Uh, and uh, but again, like if he comes out next year, wherever he's playing by that point, and just throws up a bunch of points and becomes, you know, the great, you know play-driving winger that we know him to be, he'll be right up in the top 10 in my list again as well. So, Yeah, exactly. In uh, football, I forget the guy's exact name. He works at 538, has something called like a buy-low model for fantasy. And I think if I was to make such a thing for hockey, I could see Taylor Hall being one of the top guys for a buy-low model next Definitely. year. Yeah, uh, for especially for fantasy hockey. Well, depending on where he plays. If he goes back to Arizona, I'm not... I don't know about that because Arizona seems to suck the living life out of anything offensively. But yeah, I'm hoping he goes somewhere a little more. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So my number four is Leon Dreisaitl. Um, oh, this is the guy. So I did not have him on based on talent. I figured that this was probably the guy you have off the list just because he's a center slash winger. Yeah, he's so tough to. Yeah. So yeah. So the reason I have him at four is because I didn't even I didn't put him on my centers list, and I don't know. Like obviously, it's so tough to differentiate. I think his his results away from McDavid this year have been encouraging in terms from a points perspective, anyways. But um, I have him just at the fourth best winger because when he was playing alongside Connor McDavid, that line like those two were just. They were so good to watch together. Like, it's just un incredible to watch. And 
So it's one of those things where it's like I figured if I'm not going to give him the recognition of a centerman, I may as well bump him up a little bit as a winger. And that's kind of where – like he played most of last year as a winger. And even this year he played like I think half of it alongside Connor McDavid or a third of it. You know, by the the past two months or so, he definitely shifted to just a centerman. But I put him uh, just number four uh, for a winger just because I didn't think I gave him credit for being a centerman. Yeah, that's 100% fair. And he's obviously going to be a lot higher on the list as a winger than a center because there are more good players up the middle than on the wings. Like, I think, I think yeah. I'd probably have him five behind Marchand if I yeah, count. Yeah, I say he's – exactly. So for my list, there was a, def- a definite top three in my opinion that you could kind of order however you want. And then from four to seven, like Dreisaitl, Marchand, Pasternak, Giroux, I think you could kind of order however – not however you want, but probably however you want. And then from like Huberdo to Goudreau, I think you could. And then from like Kane all the way down to like 25, I think you could make an argument for just about anyone. So yeah. I, I think to me, if if we're going to list Dreisaitl as a winger, he's just outside of that top three category, but he's got to be right in that elite tier as well still. Yeah, I completely agree. And it looks like we're going to have, the ordering will be interesting, but I think there is a distinct top three wingers in the NHL yep. right now. Okay, so who did you have at three? At three, I had Mark Stone. I also had Mark Stone. I wanted to bump him up, but I felt like it would just be a homerish thing to do. So I did. And I have, I think you just have such a good case for the other two that it's Mark Stone's three for me. Yeah, you could, you could definitely argue him higher. And it's, it's an argument that a lot of people would kind of scoff at, but I think there are really, really intelligent arguments that you could move him up. But, I, like three still amazing. Like, yeah, exactly. He's still obviously an elite winger. I think the thing that works against Mark Stone, in my opinion, is kind of what you said works for Patrick Kane in terms of Mark Stone. He has very like he controls play at all aspects of the ice, and that's fair. The reason people don't realize how good he is is because he's had a little bit of struggle staying healthy, but also because he just his point totals haven't been off the charts. They've been very good. But like this past, like this year, he was just under point per game. Last year, he was just under point per game. But like he's not uh, the 130 points that Kucherov put up or the 100 and something that Panarin's about to put up this year either, right? So it's like his defensive impact is amazing, though. Like I'd say he's probably the best. He should be in the Selkie conversation, and he's one of the few wingers of the past year, a uh, couple years that can say that. And but for. Uh, you know, what you said with Kane, where it's like you I can be much more confident that you can reproduce the uh, expected goals for, whereas the expected goals against may be harder and just more noisy because of the lack of data we have. I think that's yeah. maybe what takes away from Mark Stone in this situation. Yeah, I agree. Also, I think generally players who produce on the power play can get overrated very easily. But like Mark Stone at, offensively, even at five on five, can hang with the Kucherovs and Panarins. It's more... I would like to see a little more from him on the power play to put him above either of those two guys. That's what brings it down for me. Yeah, for sure. And to be fair, like the Ottawa teams recently that he's been playing on had some just no talent on them, really. Not no talent, but like, I don't know, like last for the first half of last season, um, he was kind of playing with like, uh, who was that? Like Tom Pye or two years ago, Tom Pye, it was just standing in front of the net on the first power play. It's like, what is going on here, guys? And then yeah. last season, this guy's like, like Bodker or whatever's on the power play, Chris Tierney. It's like, okay, maybe this isn't all on Mark Stone, but obviously, you know, you'd like to see him uh, be better than that as well. Yeah, you kind of saw that with Carlson back in the day too, where he was like 
hands down the best offensive defenseman in the league. And then he wasn't bad, obviously, but he was really nothing special on the power play. And that probably reflected Ottawa more than him, but. Yeah, but obviously still when you're evaluating players, you still got to take that into account, right? Um, Yeah. I have all all the time in the world to praise Mark Stone. I think one of the coolest things that he does is he can make anyone he plays uh, with just look so much better. Like, for example, he got Zach Smith a four-year deal at $3.5 million per year because he played along Zach Smith for a full year, and Zach Smith scored like 25 goals in that season and then never got close again. Yeah, exactly. And then he didn't necessarily look done, but like Max Pacioretty's days as like, one of the better wingers in the NHL definitely looked behind him. And then all of a sudden he goes to Vegas playing with stone and they post maybe the best results of any line in the league at five on five. Yep. Uh, Colin white last year played with Mark stone and Brady Kachuk. And you know, people were all on the hype that, you know, Colin white could be the Ottawa's number one center. And this year there was legitimately people wanting him to go play in the AHL because they thought he was that bad. It's like, no, he's not that bad. He just doesn't have the third best winger in the league playing alongside him for every minute of the game now. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing how much losing that one teammate can change players or people's perception of you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Okay, so I'm going to throw you my two and then one, and you can tell me if you have them flipped or in the same order, and then we'll talk about them. Uh, I had Panarin two and Kucherov one. Okay, so I flipped them, but don't feel, again, passionate either way. No, like I think uh, anyone in this top three can make an argument for, especially these top two, I think you really could. Uh, For me... I don't know. Like, for Panarin, I love Panarin. Like, I think what he's doing with the Rangers this year is uh, absolutely ama- amazing. Like, he's a guy who uh, he, he's just kind of been like all they've had sometimes offensively this year. Um, you know, I talk about Chris Kreider, and I think Kreider's amazing too. But you know, Panarin's thrown up 95 points in 69 games. Like, he's on pace for 110 points, almost not quite, but almost. Uh, and you know, last year in Columbus was just kind of the same thing, where it's like. Yeah, sorry, 112 points for Panarin this year. Uh, he's on pace for And last year in Columbus was just kind of the same idea where it's like the Columbus, like especially post-deadline, they had a very solid team. But offensively, he's obviously just kind of the straw that makes the drink there. Yeah, 100%. And not no better proof of concept than that is just how good he's been in New York. Like he just, or like how good he's been, sorry, everywhere. Like it doesn't, because remember back to him and Kane when the debate was who's driving the bus? Then he goes to yeah, yeah. Columbus, still amazing. Then he goes to New York, and he's still amazing. Like, it's just clear that he's the one driving the bus everywhere he's gone because he's done it no matter where he's gone. Exactly. And so, yeah, I think it's definitely fair to say that uh, he could be, the you know, he's the best winger in the league. I think Kucherov's right there with him as well. Uh, the reason I just put Kucherov first uh, is just because, simply put, he had 128 points last year. Uh, I just... I don't know, like, and he did that with, you know, like, so Drysaddle has a bunch of points this year, too, but you can argue that he's maybe not quite as good five-on-five as people give him uh, credit for, but I think with Kucherov, it's very clear that, you know, he is very solid at five-on-five as well. Oh, yeah, he's still one of the best five-on-five players in the league. He just happens to be probably the best power play player in the league, or close to it at worst. Yeah, exactly. And like Drysaddle's close. If they would have played a full year this year, it would have been really interesting to see if Drysaddle could have thrown up 128 as well or 127. He's on pace for 127 on the dot. Um, but yeah, for for him versus Kucherov, it's just kind of like the thing where it's like, I don't know. Like I get at times Kucherov maybe has better wingers or better teammates, but at the same time, last year and even part of this year, and on the power play, Leon Drysaddle gets to play with Connor freaking McDavid, and like, 
I don't know. Like the, the Tampa has a lot of talent, but when you're getting to play with the best player in the league, I just, I don't know. Kucherov to me just takes that edge over someone like Drysaddle in terms of sheer points, and then a very, very slight edge over Panarin for me, just because of how good he is. Um, just you know, in all aspects, offensively. Yeah, that's reasonable. It comes down to like, so they're if you want to call their five on five offense a wash. I don't know if you do, but say you did. It comes down to like Panarin's tends to have a better penalty differential and he's a little bit better defensively at even strength. So it's just, is that enough to outweigh the sort of power play gaudy numbers that Kucherov always seems to be able to achieve? Exactly. And I mean, in, in defense, I guess of Panarin, you know, Kucherov, uh, when we just talked about the Edmonton power play, Kucherov has a lot more weapons to use than Panarin does on the power play. But uh, in terms of like, you know, how we just said with Mark Stone, you still have to take that into account. I think that's just kind of for me where I give like a very slight edge to Kucherov, but like, I, I'm so not passionate about who would be one and two there because I think either player really has just such a good argument for it. Yeah, exactly. And they're just like everybody I think pretty much consensus, even on non-stats Twitter, that these guys are just so freaking good. Yeah, uh, there's not too many people. I, I I don't know if there's anyone who would say that Panarin or Kucherov are not good players and not elite players. So, uh, yeah, it's a pretty easy one-two there. Yeah, and then it kind of gets to the – maybe it's just recency bias that I had Panarin here too because Panarin's best season came – this year, whereas Kucherov's was in 1819, so something as small as that is able to be the difference between the two because they're so close. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, okay, so there's a lot more difference, I think, in this list. As we got to the top, it was kind of like the centers where we had the same, generally speaking, we had the same seven or eight players in our top seven or eight list, or even in our top ten, we kind of had the same amount of guys. Um, and then but, you know, the, the the difference came from the 11 to 20, which was kind of cool to see just, you know, where we were flip-flopping people as well. So, Yeah, and it makes sense. Like, we're not going to be hot-taking Matthew to Chuck above, like, Kucherov or whatever. But, like, down the list, it's a lot easier to disagree because there's there are yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's this distinct seven or, you know, ten or whatever you want to want to call it. And then from there on, like, I don't know, like, Timo Meyer's an aim. Uh, that I totally forgot. Miko Ranton, I forgot. Now I probably would have had him close to like 14 or whatever, but still there's just a bunch of names that I just kind of really forgot about, you know, because there's just so many good wingers and that's why it's so tough to do a list like this. Yeah. Like you're bound to be leaving off names that are fantastic hockey players. Exactly. Um, okay. So th- thanks everyone for listening. I don't know. Chase, do you have anything else to say on this list? No, I don't think so. No, I don't either. Uh, I think next time we are going to do the top 15 or 20 defensemen, uh, maybe 20 defensemen. This was a kind of fun. This was a longer episode that I was kind of planning on, but that's okay. Uh, there's We don't have much to talk about in the summer or well, summer. I'm just considering this almost the off-season months, but I figure we'll just kind of keep going with these lists. If there's anyone you want to hear, any lists you want to hear, or any guests we want to have on, it's kind of tough to talk about just like tactics and stuff right now, but like I don't know. Like, uh, I figure we'll keep on doing this. We'll do some uh, the top 20 uh, defensemen and then probably top 10 goalies and stuff like that. And then we might move on to some other stuff. But, yeah, if you have any ideas or if you have any, any mailbag questions, send them to me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. You can find tw- uh, Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66. Uh, I actually wrote an article for Last Word on Sports.life, so LWOS.life. Uh, I broke down the new Call of Duty map, Candor Hideout. 
if you play Call of Duty and you want to go check that out, please do. Uh, you can find all my other stuff at lastwordonhockey.com. And we will talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening.